Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 278 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. This episode's being crafted in anticipation of the 4th of July week of celebration here in the United States of America. And we have featured as our guest this go-round a gentleman named Bien Venu from originally Congo, the country in Africa. And we'll talk about growing up there. We'll talk about why he had to flee and seek asylum in the United States of America and uh, what his experience has been since he's arrived. A great conversation with Bienvenu today on the program. We also have an EW essay titled, To Be a Buddha. And first part of a three-part summer series we are calling Fantasias from our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, And the piece you'll be hearing this episode is titled, Mike Pence Goes West. And we also have a poem called, Maryland Journalists. And all of this, of course, will be infused with the energy of several great tunes. Let's get to it. Episode 278 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Oh, you 
to be a Buddha. Double down, it is so profound and humanly terrific. Only the naive and weak are altruistic. It is sad, pointlessly ethical, to position yourself in a burgeoning pickle, run down by morality and kindness. Your lowness would be much better served by genuflecting in front of His Highness. Do you find such a motif patently absurd? For this was the contextual culture and sentiment, as my thoughtful colleague overheard at a recent graduation ceremony roll off the tongue of a city mogul this, you're next in line, you will be number two, with the implication being just do what you gotta do. This type of exchange, I think, happens again and again in our society, from sea to shining sea, from the small town avenues of wind-swept valleys to townships on hillsides and villages perched on top of majestic mountain crests. We over and over again pretend that somehow we are doing the best we can, as we instead kowtow to the man and sell our souls to the economically driven devil. As the sweet voice of Aaron Neville is amplified out of your smartphone, another day in the life of an American drone. As the damage of the aggressive and selfish continue to infect our ideals of a healthy home, I am just a servile lapdog waiting for my master to graciously give me another bone. God damn, it's hard to be a Buddha.
Hello? Hello, bienvenue. Is that you? Yes. Hello, it's E.W. Conundrum from Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. Now let me tell the folks a little bit about you before we get started. Uh, bienvenue was born and raised in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. For a while it was called Zaire. Some of you might know it as that. In Central Africa and now is a resident in North America after being granted asylum in the United States. And we're going to talk with Bien about his uh, younger years, although he's still a young man, uh, growing up in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and uh, why and how he came here to the United States and what it's been like since he's gotten here uh, and whatever comes up in the process. So thanks again for being on the program. I appreciate it, Bienvenue. You're welcome. So now there are a couple of Congos, so uh, some po folks might get mixed up, and that may be, uh, I don't know if that bothers you or not. You're from, again, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, not the Republic of the Congo. And what, are you from a, a particular city or town? Yes, um, I'm from the Republic Democratic of the Congo, which the capital city is Kinshasa. But I don't live in Kinshasa. Um, I used to live in South Kivu, especially a place called Uvira. How do you spell that? Uvira, it's U. U as in Uganda, V as in Victor, I as in Irish, R as in Rod, A as in Apple. And would you say that's a small uh, town? Yeah, it's a small town. That's where I was born. And what was it? What was it like growing up there? Uh, growing up there in Uvira, um, yeah, it was. I should say it wasn't good for me, according to what I have been through. Maybe people that have been living there before me, people that was there before the trouble in the country, might testify something different. But for me, it wasn't. It wasn't good, according to what I, I've been through. Even at a young age, when you were just a little boy, it wasn't so good? It wasn't so good, because it was fight every day, war, civil war every day, killings, raping women, stuff, a lot of stuff going on. So I have a bad experience with that. Uh, how about uh, your education? Were there a, was there a good school there? Education, we had good teachers, we have good materials. The only problem was, we, we, um, I mean, there used to be some of the times that we couldn't attend school because of the war. Some of the time we couldn't attend school because we couldn't afford it. So school was good, but the way of attending the school, that was the only problem. And, and you say war, it was a civil war. Um, do you recall, do you feel that uh, the people in your town were that concerned about what the war was being fought over, or did you feel more like you were just stuck in the middle? Um, the war in the Republic Democratic of the Congo is very complicated. It's more than a civil war, because it's a war between rebels in the government, the war between uh, the government and other countries, and also the war between, I mean, the war among the population themselves. So it's very, very complicated. And you mentioned there's a, a, a level of tribalism that still exists. That uh, and that, 
And that is the biggest issue that we have in the country. I mean, the tribalization, I mean, the war between among ethnicities, some say that this tribe fights the other tribe. Um, yeah, that hatred that has been implanted by the politicians saying that, no, this side, I mean, this tribe is different from this tribe. So this tribe has to fight this tribe. So they have to kill each other. So especially these two tribes, these two tribes, which one is called the Hutu, another one is called the Tutsi. But in the Republic of the Congo, we did not have this problem for a long time. I mean, I mean, originally we do not have this problem. This problem exists in a country, the neighboring country, a country called Rwanda, if you remember. I do. In 1994, yes, in 1994, there was a genocide. They killed too, too many people in, in both uh, tribes. And then this these two tribes exist again in another country called Burundi, but in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, we did not have this problem of the Tutsi and Hutu. It's just something that has been brought up by the politicians, and it's, it's the major problem that we have, we are having until now in the Eastern Republic of the Congo. So the, the, uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis do exist in, your, in the D Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, but there wasn't any difficulty between those tribes until the government sort of created it. I should say the tribes might have existed, but the problem between these tribes just popped up, I mean, just because of the politics. It, it, it was not there before. That, that's what I'm trying to understand. If the Hutus and the Tutsis came from uh, Rwanda and Burundi into... Uh, your country and, and just k took their their problems with them or were the tribes also in your country and then uh, and they lived fine uh, together but the government started problems um, yes it's just a politic uh, political manipulation these people that came some believe that they came from Rwanda and some do not you know I personally, um, I should say that when you are born somewhere, that's where you belong. Personally, that's what I believe. So the people that I knew from that tribe, they are people that were born there. So I trust and I believe that they are from that country because they were born there. But their ancestors, people believe that they came from Rwanda. And now the politicians use them against the other people that are in the Congo, I mean, are in uh, in the Eastern Republic of the Congo, just to cause trouble. It's just a political manipulation. There wasn't any problem between these two tribes before. And it's not even two tribes. There's like hundreds and hundreds of tribes in the Republic of Democratic of the Congo. But there's only this one, which is like on the Tutsi side, that is always against, I mean, it's not always against, but the politics, I mean, the politicians use it against all other tribes, just to cause trouble, just to cause—I mean, for their own profit. Yes. And and are powerful government officials? Uh, are they from that tribe? Um, not all of them. People are accusing the the president, the president that we have right now, uh, um, Joseph Kabila. People accuse Joseph Kabila. They say that he's from Rwanda. They accuse him being a Tutsi, something which I can't. So, I mean, that's why when the, the head of the country, the president is being accused of being a Tutsi, 
So they're going to say, they're going to conclude that all the members of the government are, are Tutsi. That's what they're going to conclude. That's how people think, yes. So it's it's complicated, as you mentioned. It's uh, th- these um, these problems are not easily understood by people that aren't experiencing them firsthand. I guess, uh, but the the uh, I guess the the fallout, what happens because of the the war, is brutal. Uh, based on a couple of things you you mentioned, I mean, m- murder and rape and. And uh, um, I'm sure all kinds of, of injustice. And when when faced with that, as an individual, how how do you deal? Um, one, just one more thing that before answering that question, uh, I would like to be clear about one more other thing. The problem I just mentioned about the Tutsi and the Hutu, which is not a which did not exist before, and which is taken like a major problem in the Congo right now, is not the only problem. I mean, I mean, in the Congo, we are having right now like more problems between tribes, I mean, which is even different from that one. Like right now, the biggest problem that we are experiencing is the rebel groups. The rebel groups from the same, I mean, from my country, the Congo, and the rebel groups from other different countries, like the rebel groups from Uganda, Nalu, they're called, yes, the Nalu, Aden Nalu. And then we have rebel groups from Rwanda, which are the FDLR. So we also have rebel groups from Burundi, which are FNL. So all those rebels, they come, uh, I mean, to take like, I mean, to camp in the Congo. They go cause trouble in their country and then run back into the Congo. They don't only cause trouble in their countries. They also cause the same troubles in the Congo. Raping women, killing people stealing people's belongings. I mean, doing, causing a lot of trouble. And that's why I'm, t- I'm saying that we, having, like, we have like, a lot of problems and it's so complicated. And yeah, what was the question you asked? Well, I'm, I was asking when, when you have to face this, you're living in your town, just trying to live your life, uh, and you, you have to face uh, this, this chaos, this injustice. Uh, uh, what, how, how do you deal with it? Oh, it's so hard to live in the Congo. It's very, very hard to live in the Congo. In some parts, I'm telling you, people that have been in the Congo, like in a big city like Kinshasa, Lubumbashi, they don't know what's going on in the small towns. They, re- they really have no idea. But what I can tell you is there are some places in the Congo that when you go there, you're going to cry. People survive there only by the grace of God. How? It's so hard, personally, it's so hard to live in the Congo. Why? You might live there, you have no problem with nobody. You're trying to do your own business. You're trying to improve your own life. Huh? You're trying to, to better yourself. But still, they're going to come after you. Like these rebel groups. There are some rebel groups which do not have any support. Because like, many rebel groups are being supported by some countries, like neighboring countries, like uh, big power countries. But there are some other small groups which do not have any support. Where are they going to find the support now? What they do? Here's what they do. They come among the population, threatening their lives. If you are in your house and you have like five sons, which are like 20 years old. No, that, that's too much. Like, which are like 12, 14, 16 and, and over years old. What they do is they oblige you. They kidnap some of your, your children. They 
forced them into their rebel groups to be their, I mean, their, their soldiers. And also, again, they come to you. They tell you, you have to contribute, like money, like uh, cows, like goats, anything that you have, you have to contribute to give to those rebels. So, I mean, that, that's the only support they have, like threatening the, the, the population, taking money from them, taking whatever they have so they can survive. Well, what, I mean, what about the local police and the government to protect you? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We do not have government in the Congo. I'm sorry to say this. I know this is like uh, this is offensive to the government. I know. But I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. We do not have government in the Congo. The reason why I'm saying we do not have government in the Congo is that people are being killed day after day, like every day in the Congo. They have to die like at least. 30 people will be dead in the Congo every day. There's this part of the Congo called Beni. It's in the north, uh, north Kivu, Beni. There is Goma. There is Masisi. There is, uh, there's a whole bunch of places, but the, the west part is Beni. People are being, I mean, killed, stabbed, shot every day like animals. And the government is... Are you there? In the Congo. Yes. The, I, I lost you for a second. You said, and the, and the government does what? I said, this is offensive to the government, but I have to say it, that we do not have a government in the Congo. No, I heard, I, heard all, are, I heard all that, and you said yes. people were murdered in these certain places, and then the government does nothing, I guess, is what you're saying. The government does nothing at all, and people have been, I mean, people are being killed. It's been for like, more than 20 years now, people being killed in the Baini, and they kill the people, and they take the photos they put on social media so everybody can see it, and still the government doesn't react, which means that the government is unable to, I mean, to, uh, to protect its own population. And, and when, when did you decide that you needed to get out? Um, let me tell you something. I'm saying all of this because I'm one of the victims. I'm one of those kids that have be, have seen have I mean witnessing the their families being threatened, their relatives being killed. I'm one of the kids that have witnessed their parents. I mean they are like their their sisters and their mothers being raped in front of them. I'm one of those kids who have experiencing their parents being killed in, in I mean in front of them. And I'm one of those kids who have been rescued from the Congo by, uh, by UNHCR into neighboring country, into refugee camps, just for rescue, to rescue them. So, how, how old were you? I did you? not, right now I'm 25. No, how, how old were you when you were rescued? I was three years old. When you were rescued? Yes. So just in your three short years, you witnessed all of that terribleness? I witness everything, and everything is still on my mind. I can see everything. Some of the nights I can't go to sleep. I have nightmares. I have everything on my mind, so there's nothing I can forget about it. Seeing, I mean, laying in the blood, seeing people being killed in front of you, women being raped in front of you, there's nothing I can forget. Even though I was young, I still remember everything. And I'm, I'm sorry about all that. Um, I, I don't know what to say in response. I... Uh, but I, I, I do appreciate you sharing uh, your experience and, your, and what you've learned from it be, because I, I think people need to hear this. 
you know, you, in my view, are obviously uh, a fellow human being, and no human being should have to experience what you have experienced. And every, as you said yourself, person should be able to better themselves and, and have a, a decent life. And so you, you come here, you're, you, you were rescued, and then you, it's, when did you end up coming to a, the United States? Uh, I grew up in a neighboring country. I mean, yes, I grew up in Tanzania. It, it's a neighboring country in a camp, a refugee camp. I've been there for all this time. And then I, I tried to go back to the Congo a couple of times when I was, well, yeah, when I was now adult. I tried to go back to Congo to see if I can go back there, to see if I can, like, start a new life. But it didn't work. Every time I tried to go back there, it was just trouble. They want to kidnap me. They want to, to force me to join their rebel groups. They wanted me to do like stuff I don't like. And I, and I decided to go back into the, to go back into the refugee camp. And then I lost hope. I found that I wish I could do something to help, at least to help those who are suffering there. There are people who are suffering, they're starving and still being killed and raped again. I wish I could do something. And then by the end of the time, there was nothing at all I could do. It hurt me so much, and I decided to go back into the refugee camp. And I lost hope of my country, and I said, okay, I'd rather find somewhere else to go. That's when I applied for the United States Resettlement Program, and I got approved in 2015, and I came over here in the United States. It was January in 2016. And what does that mean to you? What did it mean to you when you found out you were... Uh, included in in uh, the resettlement uh, group and 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 how, you know how how does it what did it mean when you actually got here? I mean, yes, um, I was happy to come over here. I can say yes, I was happy because it's a it's a new life, good life. Uh, I had to find a job to work and stuff. But deep inside, it still hurts me. You know, they say there's no place like home. Home is home. Home is so sweet. Look, I mean, there's no place like home. I still miss my country, and I wish I could be in my country until now. The only problem is there's no way I can go. I mean, if I go there, I can't take it, seeing people being treated like that, being threatened. I will end up acting. I mean, I will end up reacting, and that's going to be my end, my death. So, yeah, I was happy to come over here, and it was, it was very nice, but still... It hurts me because even though I'm living peacefully in the United States, there are people who are bleeding until now in the Congo. It still hurts me. It looks like nothing has changed at all. So you would fight back, you fear, and that would end your life if you did stay in, in the Congo any longer. Uh, so, yeah, that's a tough position to be in. Uh, you know, I, I – and I – you know, this is a tough thing for me to ask, but I want to ask it because I know a lot of people in the United States often think this, and I want to give you a chance to respond. Um, people will say, well, you know, countries in Africa, they have all these troubles all the time. Why why do they have so many troubles all the time? Why, why can't they figure out these problems, how to fix them? How do you respond to that? Yes. I'm so happy you asked me that question. That was one of the questions I, w I was waiting for. <laughs> it's true that people say that African people, they're stupid. Why can, can't they figure out their problem 
and, and, and solve them. Of course, yes. We are trying so hard. Our fathers fought so hard to see if they can solve this problem. Even though I'm learning the, I mean, the, the government right now, somehow the problem isn't even the government. Because the government is corrupted. And the corruption is not maybe from, the, from my country. Maybe the, the problem, I mean, the corruption I'm talking about, maybe is from somewhere above that I'm not, I mean, somewhere, <laughs> I should say, uh, somewhere above my pay grade, I, I should say that. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. The biggest problem we have in the Congo is not because of, of the population. It's not even because of the Tutsi or the Hutu I talked about earlier. It's because of the resources that we have in the country. Because of the gold we have, the diamond that we have, because of the coltate, the uranium, and everything that we have in the country. I mean, the, the mineral resources that we have, that, that, that's the only problem. If people are coming from neighboring countries like Rwanda, Uganda, Burundi, to, come, to infiltrate into my country, to cause trouble, it's, it's not just to cause trouble. Because if there's a country which is wealthy in the world, Congo might be the first one. We have like everything in the Congo. Gold, diamond, coltate, uranium, and everything. I mean, I mean, we have like a lot of stuff. So these countries are coming in the Congo just to cause trouble, to make people fight, kill each other, hate each other, and you know, when people kill each other, hate each other, some of them have to run. When they run, they leave, they abandon their places. When they abandon their places, now those people that cause the trouble, they come and sit at that place and start recalling, I mean, start harvesting what they wanted, start digging the diamonds, start digging the, the, the gold, coltate, and whatever they want. So it's so hard for the people of the Congo to solve this problem. Because the problem isn't the people. The problem is what the people have in their country. Let me give you an example. Let's take, for example, right now. People don't need gold anymore. I mean, the big countries, they don't need gold anymore from the Congo. What they need, they need diamond. Because diamond of the Congo in Kasai, it's one of the best diamond in the, in, in the world. Apart from that, People need coltate. The reason why people are being killed in, 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 in Goma, and what I say, the place I said, Beni, the reason why people are being killed there day after day, is because of what is called coltate. And this coltate is another material that makes smartphones, computers, uh, cameras. It makes a lot. I mean, the whole technology, the whole world technology relies on the coltate of the DRC. So it's so hard for people of, of, of Goma, Beni, to find peace. Apart from that, we know every country want to be big in the world, like Korea, uh, Russia, United States, France. Every country want to be big. And in order to be big, people think that it's having like great weapons, like atomic bombs, that's being big. Now, here's the thing. We have the best uranium in the world, in the Congo. Uranium exists there. Every big country want to go there to get that uranium to make uh, whatever atomic bombs they want so they can threaten others or so they can, see, they can be seen like big powers. How are we going to figure out our own problems? We can't because we are not the problem. What we have is the problem. 
and everybody needs what we have. That's why it's so hard for us to figure out our problem. I understand. It, it, it's, it's the West who wants to keep the African continent and it, its countries in a state of chaos so that the West could come and take all of the really valuable resources that that are there and use them to become more wealthy, more powerful. To put it in a I nutshell. So. Yeah, I should say so, but it's not just the world. It's not just the West, it's the whole world. When I say the West, when you say the West, you mean just the Western country. Yeah, I'm thinking Europe, the United States. Yeah, that one, yes, you're right. And then we go to the East, the Middle East, we have Russia, we have China in the Congo. We have, yeah, we have Chinese in the Congo, we have Russian in the Congo, we have uh, Pakistanis in the Congo. So even the Middle East is included. Apart from that, we also have African countries in the Congo. Rwanda is in the Congo, Burundi is in the Congo, Uganda is in the Congo, you know. When I say Rwanda, I don't mean Rwanda the whole country. I mean the rebels from Rwanda, the FDLR, they are in the Congo. FDL, uh, FDL Nalu from Uganda, they are in the Congo. Other rebels from Central uh, Republic Centrafricain, they are also in the Congo. So I should say it's not just the West, but it's the whole world against the Congo. So... At this point, at, at at 25 years old, I mean, and you sound much older than 25, and I suppose that, that's to do with a lot of things, but experience uh, is one of them, I'm sure. But at your age of 25 now, you've pretty much said, I, I love my home, I wish I could be there, but I've given up hope on it, and I'm going, going to start a new life in the United States. Is that is that safe to say? It's because I have nothing to do. That's why I lost my home. I wish I had something to do at least to help my country. I wish I had at least something to do to help even two people from being killed a day. I'd be happy. But there's nothing I can do. I'll end up being killed. I'll end up like others. So there's nothing I can do at all. I wish I had something to do. So from that position, from that mindset, where do you go? Why now, so what does your life in your head look like from, from this point? Here in the United States, I suppose. Um, you know, since I came over to the United States, I had like, I was like a lost child. So I had to start everything all over again. And yes, I had to do that. I did start a new life in a new country, with a new weather, new food, new people, new, I mean, new everything new. So I already started my life all over again. So what I'm thinking about is just living my life in the United States. I'm not happy to live this life in the United States. I'm just, I should say, yeah, I see. The faith will... <laughs> I don't know. They say the destination. You never. Nobody can avoid his destination. Nobody can avoid his fate. So, I'm still see what the fate is gonna do to me. But Congo is still my country, and it will always be my country. I understand, and I respect that. And do you mm -hmm. think that um, 
your your time here in the United States. It, how do you explain to people who question immigration? I guess is where I'm going. Uh, to how do you explain to them that being able to come here is important? Being able to come here is important to people who want to be safe, to people who want to rebuild their lives, to people who, I mean, you know, let me explain some. I mean, there's a difference between, yeah, we are all immigrants, okay, but we, we're a little bit different. We are immigrants, refugees, immigrants. There are other immigrants that came different from being refugees. But despite of that, we are all immigrants, and we are all looking for a second chance, looking for something new, I mean, something better. You know, it's so good to come over here, and I encourage them, because everybody that comes here like an immigrant is someone that has been suffering for a long time, someone that has been struggling, and they are trying to see if they can find a second chance in life. So I should tell them that the United States, personally, I call it a land of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunities here. If you do everything good, if you don't have no trouble, you don't have no problem with nobody, you do your job, you do whatever you have to do for your life. It's a very nice country. And I will encourage everyone. I mean, it's a very nice place to start all over again. And yes, and go on with the life. Bienvenue. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story, a bit of your passion and your wisdom. Uh, and I uh, wish you the best. It's nice to have you here as part of this country. And I hope someday you're able to reconnect with the Democratic Republic of the Congo in a, in a positive way. Uh, I truly understand where you're coming from in that regard, as, as that still being in large part your home. And I want to wish you a, a happy Independence Day. We're talking before the celebration of the 4th of July in the United States of America. So happy Independence Day, my friend. Yes, uh, happy Independence Day. Even on my country, it's 4th the 4th of July, but the 30th of June is also the independence in my country, so it's like closed. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank, thank you so much. Thank mm -hmm. you, Bienvenue. Ciao. Ciao. Africa, 
Mike Pence goes west. I had that dream again, Mother. I'm skating on Grandma's pond, and it's cold, and my cheeks are rosy, and all of a sudden a man, a handsome man, if I may say so, a handsome man with chiseled features in a tight, colorful outfit with so many spangles, a quite a modest outfit, you might say, Mother. This handsome man with eyes as sparkling as his spangles skates toward me, faster and faster, and sweeps me off the ice and up into the air, and we rise higher and higher into the azure sky. And then I woke up. What do you think it means, Mother? Am I having bad thoughts again? Well, I've arrived at the Dude Ranch, Mother. Oh, it's a wonderful place. Wide open spaces, a big blue sky, and cowboys as far as the eye can see. They wear tight jeans and bright neckerchiefs and chaps and spurs and speak in a tough cowpoke manner and wrap their thick legs around their horses and ride and ride and ride. One of the ranch hands, Randy, is my special friend. He has strong hands, tanned from the sun, and eyes as blue as the sky. When I had trouble mounting my horse, old spots, he lifted me like a bag of oats and tenderly placed me on the saddle, his hand brushing my backside. I clenched my buttocks, mother. I know what you said about clenching my buttocks, but I couldn't help it. I just couldn't. Later, as we rode the trail, I glanced back in gratitude at Randy, and he blessed me with a shy smile. Oh, mother, you should have seen me bobbing on old spots, my cowboy hat at a rakish angle, and my special friend Randy moseying behind me. That's what cowboys do, mother. They mosey. That night, at the campfire, events took an ominous turn. The boys were sharing their stories of life on the trail, and I, quite innocently, told of my friend Harold and his success in conversion therapy. Well, the looks they gave me. You would think I had murdered the Lindbergh baby, as dear Truman Capote once said. It reminded me of the time I played Pocahontas in our grade school production of The Story of Jamestown. My rowdy classmates laughed at me, but I didn't mind. I was a proud squaw, and I felt pretty in my beads and feathers. The cowboys turned on me and made the rudest of remarks. Tears stung my eyes. But guess who came to my rescue, like the pagan Pocahontas did to her Christian amour John Smith? Guess who, mother? Yes, Randy, my special friend. He stood up, his craggy face burnished in the glow of the campfire, and quieted his fellows with a stern look. We left and walked in the moonlight down to the lake, where we sat on the shore and gazed at the stars. I've been a bad boy, mother, and now I'm home standing at the bottom of the stairs, awaiting the just punishment you will shortly mete out to me. I will bear my bottom to you, and you will spank it pink with your wooden spoon. But for tonight, mother, just for tonight, 
Would you please use the riding crop? Oh, thank you, Mother. Thank you so much. of land under starry skies above don't fence me in let me ride through the wide open country that i love don't fence me in let me be by myself in the evening breeze and listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me off forever, but I ask you, please, don't fence me in. Just turn me loose, let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western sky. On my cayuse, let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. the west commences and gaze at the moon till I lose my senses and I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences don't fence me See the mountains rise. Ba, 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 ba. I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences and gaze at the moon till I lose my senses and I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in. No. Papa, don't you fence me in. Maryland journalists, as they craft the discourse of democratic analysis pursuant to the ideals of these United States, they are gunned down at their desks. True American heroes, true American tragedy, and shockingly part of the national strategy of this country's most despicable president. Well, 
Episode 278 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Bienvenue. Also, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis. And these musical artists, Stefan Grimpelli, Django Reinhardt, The Jefferson Airplane, Jimi Hendrix, Franklin Bukaka, Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters, Clifton Chenier, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. I wish you the best. Happy Independence Day week and beyond. May we find our conscience and be in touch with our souls. Take care. <laughs>